Hey, we're having a good time doing this Mood Swingers uh, series. Pastor Wes and Pastor Johnny, who've helped me with that, were out on their annual hunting trip uh, not too long ago. And, you know, they, they were on this light plane. They flew up way, way far north, you know, in the far frozen north, you know. And, and um, uh, they got out, they hunted, they, they got six bu- big bucks. And then the plane came back in to catch them and take them home. And, they loaded, started loading the bucks on the plane and the pilot said, uh, hey, you know, this is a light plane and we can't take all of those. Oh, we only take four of those. And uh, Wes started arguing with him. He said, last year we bagged six big bucks last year too. Same plane, you know, different pilot, same plane, same exact, you know, that was the exact plane that you have and we loaded all six on there. Finally, the pilot relented and they put all of them on there, but as they took off, the little plane couldn't get going very good and it tipped the t- top of the trees. And then a little bit later on, it, it, it you know, kind of had a little bit of a crash landing. And as Wes got out of the plane, he looked over to Johnny. He goes, do you know where we are? And Johnny said, I think this is about where we crashed last year. <laughs> All right, so you know that wasn't true. But here, some of you are worried, like they crashed? What's going on, you know? Here's the thing. I want you to pull out your notes with me because I'm going to go over a principle today that I think as as we do this, it's going to change your life because you haven't realized this before. And it's the principle that you are the thinker. First, I want to tell you this. Write this down. You can't keep doing what you've always done and expect different results. You can't keep doing what you've always done and expect different results. You can't keep thinking like you've always thought and expect that your life is going to be different. So let's look at some of that. Mark Twain, great quote from him. What a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and his words. His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself. All day long, the mill of his brain is grinding and his thoughts, not those other things, are his history. I can't choose what other people are going to say to me or about me, but I can choose what I continue to dwell on in my mind. And the reality is your reality of self is created by your thoughts. Every time you think a thought, it is an electric current in your brain. Did you know that? And it connects, these neurons connect and They begin to move and they attach based on the thoughts that you think. And if you imagine it kind of this way, that every time you think a thought, it creates a little pathway. And then you think that thought again and it creates a deeper pathway. And eventually there's a little rut and then there's something a lot bigger. And some of you, after you've thought the same thoughts 10,000, 100,000 times, you've got like a grand canyon of doubt in your mind, a grand canyon of depression in your mind, a grand canyon of fear, a grand canyon of worry or lust or whatever it it might be. And so for years, there wasn't a whole lot of hope in the psychiatric world that things could be different because for the whole 20th century, the theory was that the the adult mind was kind of set like concrete after about age five or six, that that the, the brain was set and all of those early traumas and all the issues that you dealt with, you really... That was just going to be who you are. But in 2002, a scientist won the Nobel Prize discovering that the adult brain is more elastic than that, that it's changeable. 
In 2002, science finally caught up with the Bible. What the Bible had said 2,000 years earlier. Let's read it together there. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And I think it could be even better translated, if you're a believer, by changing you into who you already are, that new creation that you already are. And the word there for change is metamorphosis in the Greek. It's the idea of the caterpillar to the butterfly. It's not like some little slight change. It's, it's a metamorphosis of who you're going to become. So here's what I want you to, to understand. If you change your brain, you change your life. And it's very, very biblical. Here's something I want you to do. Write this down. Don't try to think positively. That's not going to be the answer. Some of you that are pessimists out there going, oh, thank God, right? <laughs> because you always think, come on, think, I think I can, I think I can, come on, let's think positively together. You don't have to think positively. Don't try to think positively. Simply remember that you are the thinker. You're the thinker. You'll have up to 50,000 thoughts today. Some of you will have 3,000, others 100,000, you know. But, but you know, 50,000 thoughts is a normal day. Can you imagine that? 50,000 thoughts. Because you are the thinker, realize that your thoughts don't necessarily reflect reality. Write that down. You're the thinker. Your thoughts don't necessarily reflect reality. We tell ourselves a story and then we believe that story, and that story might not have anything to do with reality. I heard about a guy that he was out in the middle of the, the night, out in the country in Texas, and <clears throat> I mean, nothing around, and he had a flat, and he's going, oh, great, you know, had a flat, there's no cars anywhere around, and he uh, gets out, opens the trunk, and remembers that he doesn't have a jack in the trunk. And so he sees a light, it's about a mile away, a little farmhouse, and he starts to head toward it. And on the way, he starts to think about, it's two o'clock in the morning, basically, by now. I'm gonna knock on this door, and they're gonna scream and yell at me and say, what in the world are you doing? You're such an idiot. Why are you waking us up in the middle of the night? And he began to just go over and over what was gonna happen when he, when he knocked on the door. And he finally got there, and he, he knocked on the door, and a little old lady came to the door and she said yes and he said I don't want your stupid jack anyway <laughs> why do that because he'd already told himself this whole story right he had a whole story built up in his mind of what was going to happen how it was going to turn out what was going to and he lived his life based on that story and a lot of us are living exactly that same way now I've told you this before but this is so important that you understand this. This is one of the things that changed my life. Some of us here today are neurotic. Don't lift your hands and don't point, okay? Some of us here today are character disordered. Now that sounds bad, but let me just tell you what it means. Neurotic means that you take too much responsibility on yourself for causes. Like, you're the one that's going to end up probably trying to be God and control and worry. But when it comes down to blame, you blame yourself more. 
character disorder means that you blame the world around you more. You blame God more or your spouse more or someone else around you, you know, for your issues and your problems. If it wasn't for blank, I would be great, right? And what's crazy is if you're married, so many times those two come together. You see how natural that is? Oh, it's all my fault. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right? And, and, and so I'm going to be honest with you. It's a lot easier for a neurotic to do well in counseling because they take too much responsibility. But you have to take responsibility for change to happen, right? I, I heard about a guy. He went to a, a, a psychiatrist and, and he was having some issues and, and so the psychiatrist said, okay, let's get kind of to the root of your issues. I'm gonna show you some pictures and he picked up a, a piece of paper. All it had, it was a blank piece of paper with a square on it and the guy looked at it and he goes, that's an apartment window and inside that window is a couple making love. And then he picked up a, uh, another uh, piece of paper and it just had a circle, just a circle on the page. He said, that's a beach umbrella on a white beach and underneath that umbrella is a couple making love. Then he picked up a, a, a triangle. It was only a triangle on the page. And he goes, that's on an Indian reservation. And, and inside that teepee, there's a beautiful Indian couple making love. And the psychiatrist said, we can stop right here. I can see what your issue is. You're obsessed with sex. And the guy said, doc, me obsessed with sex? You're the one showing me the dirty pictures. <laughs> Character disorder, okay? So <laughs> we need to recognize ourselves and know it, where we are on that, on that scale, what it looks like, okay? We need to take responsibility so we can structure for change. Here's the next thing I want you to write down. Because you are the thinker, you get to pick which thoughts you will dwell on. Because you are the thinker, you get to pick which thoughts you will dwell on. I want you to imagine it this way. I, I love this illustration. This has helped me a lot. Just imagine it's fall. It's so hot out there. It doesn't feel like fall, does it? But just imagine it's 70 degrees out. You're sitting by this beautiful little stream. It's just moving really slowly. I mean, it's not like a stream that's fast moving. It's just barely moving past you, okay? All the trees have changed colors and those beautiful multicolored leaves begin to fall into the stream beside you. 50,000 of them, little leaves, all different colors. And they're floating past you. You can reach down whenever you want. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Pick it up and look at it. Okay, that's, that's the way you can do with your thoughts. So you had 50,000 thoughts yesterday. And you didn't hang on to every one of them because you can't. A lot of them you just let go on down the stream. Like, for example, you, you didn't say, oh, wow, the color of the wall is, is off-white. I'm going to, I need to change that. And then you just sit and think about that for. 45 minutes, you don't think about that. You just notice it, it goes on past. But then some of you, because you were in a low mood yesterday, a thought came by about your husband being a jerk, you know? And so you pick that one up, right? You began to look at it. You know what? He, even though he was amazing on Friday, Saturday he's a jerk. And he's probably always been a jerk. You start looking at, you know, he was probably born a jerk, right? And, and you look at those things. You pick, who's, who's telling the story here? Is your husband a jerk? Well, I know some of your husbands, they might be, but here's the deal. Is that reality? You have to figure that out. And, and, and so you're the one that's doing it. You're the one that's telling yourself this story. Listen to what the Bible says about our thoughts. It says this, 
The weapons of the war we're fighting are not of this world, but are powered by God and effective at tearing down the strongholds erected against his truth. We're demolishing arguments and ideas, every high and mighty philosophy that pits itself against the knowledge of the one true God. Now listen to this part. We are taking prisoners of every thought, every emotion, and subduing them into obedience to the anointed one. The voice translation takes the end of that same thing and it says this. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. Listen to this. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. So the whole thing of what we're doing, if you're a believer, if you've stepped into this journey with Jesus, you're a whole new creation. A whole new creation. And there is this whole thing about you that has changed deep inside. Your goal is, your, your, your physical body hasn't, you look the same. You still have had the same experiences. You still have those same in your brain because your physical brain, you have those same caverns and, and different ruts that you get into. And your goal is to line up your physical brain by your thoughts and by your actions with the real you. That's, that's the goal of the Christian life. And it, it, there's an interesting verse. I didn't write it down for you, but just listen to this. In Ephesians 5, 8, it says, for once you were darkness. It didn't say once you were in darkness. It says, for once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, darkness cares about its image. Darkness is outward focused in the fact that it's only about image. And, and you see that in, in our politicians, in our politics a lot. There's a darkness there because it's all about what's projected outward. I'm so caring and all this kind of stuff. You know, I care about all these things. And, and, and yet, there's a darkness behind it. And you feel it and you sense it and, and, and kind of a hypocrisy. Some of you grew up in a dark house. I don't mean there weren't any lights in the house. What I mean is it was all about image. And, and you grew up in a home with performance-based Acceptance and performance-based acceptance isn't only about producing, you know, make that A and do all these things, and but it's also about what I call Hollywooding, right? You have to look right, you have to seem right, you know. And and some of you, how many of you knew preachers' kids growing up? Were they the worst? You know, I mean, a lot of times they're oh, preachers' kids—they're the worst. You know why? Because their family can get caught up in Hollywooding. And, and trying to make it look right. And it really affects the kids. I love that my parents, my dad, as a pastor for all those years, he never put that kind of pressure on us as kids. I didn't say we weren't the worst, but he didn't put the pressure on us, you know. And, and, and so that, that's the cool thing about that. But for all of us, there's this tendency because we've learned to play act and we've learned these different things. We have these different ruts. We confuse some of the things that we've learned with what we feel like we are. We call it what we are, what we've inherited, you know? Because I've had this habit for a lifetime. It feels like it's, it's part of me. And so we identify with our defects. And that's a lie. You're not your defects. You're not your fault. If you're a believer, especially, you know, a lot of us, instead of saying, I work too much, and you know, that can be a sin, right? You know that, right? 
It can be, depending on where your priorities are. I work too much. You say, I'm a workaholic. You see the difference there? You're saying, I am something. This is just who I am. Not, I'm a believer who works too much. And I need to look at that and figure that out. I have a tendency to put off and procrastinate. We don't say that. We'll say, I'm lazy. Well, if you're a believer, the truth is, I'm a believer who tends to procrastinate. I'm a believer who tends to put off. There's something going on there that's causing me to do that. I'm timid. I'm shy. I'm, I, I, I'm just, I'm aggressive. I'm passive. I'm passive aggressive. You see all of those things? You're not your defects. That's even something as good as Alcoholics Anonymous, which I am a big fan of because of the 12 steps. We're a little bit different at Community of Faith because we wouldn't say, hi, I'm Mark and I'm an alcoholic. We'd say, hi, I'm Mark. I'm a believer who struggles with alcohol. There's a difference. There's a difference in that. You're not your defect. Well, no, that's just who I am. Listen to what the Bible again says. Strip yourselves of your former nature. Put off and discard your old unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lusts and desires that spring from delusion. And be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind. I love that it says the spirit of your mind. What it's trying to say is there's a spirit mind that you've got as the new creation. And there's your physical mind. And you're trying to mesh those together, okay? Having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. I'm going to give you a really stupid example of kind of what I'm talking about, how it changes our mindset. But, but I, I want you to try, to try to go with me, okay? I want you to imagine that you are a 17-year-old boy going to Cy Fair. Now, some, if you're an 18-year-old boy going to Cy Woods, that's pretty easy. But if you're a 45-year-old woman, it's a little harder, right? But just imagine, put yourself in that place. You're a 17-year-old boy going to Cy Fair, and um, you're really good at a couple of things. You're good at eating, right? And you're good at girl watching. Okay, that's kind of who you are. But one day you're standing by your locker and the track coach comes up to you and he says, boy, I saw you yesterday and you were running from those guys who were trying to, to, to beat the tar out of you and, and you are fast, man. You are so fast. I mean, I cannot believe that you ran that fast. I know you were scared, but you ran fast. And, and I think you're a sprinter. I, if you'll come out on the track team, I'll work with you. I think that you might really be something and you're Going like, I'm not really a runner as far as I know. I mean, what I am a girl watcher. I'm really good at that. You know, I'm good at eating. But I don't know about running. But you go out because it intrigues you. And even that first couple of practices, you haven't really done anything. But you actually, you are faster than anybody else on the team. And Cy Fair's got a good team. And you can run that 100-meter dash like it's crazy even already and so you begin to work at it and you begin to practice at it you begin to get in shape and you begin to and, and you get faster and faster you begin to watch tapes of world-class sprinters and learning how they hold their heads still and all of that and you get you are blazing fast in fact you're good enough you're going to go to the olympics you'll probably be the, one of the youngest guys that's ever been there running the 100 meter dash at the olympics i mean you're getting up to bolt speed you know I mean you were, you were you were right there with you're breaking records all the high school all the college records and now it's the big track meet at the end of the school track season and all of the cypher schools are together and you're there to run the 100 meter dash and I mean the stands are full really to watch you colleges are there wanting to recruit you there's you know even the Olympic scouts and everybody and 
you're expected to break some records today and you're getting in the blocks, you're getting ready to go and all of a sudden the most beautiful girl at SciFair walks up to you with a big bowl of apple pie and ice cream from Bluebell piled up to there. And she says, this is for you and then after you have this, you can have me. What do you do? Are you just a dirt clod covered, you know, salivary gland and, and, and sex drive? You have to figure out who you are. And so you look at her and you go, girl, you're beautiful. I don't even want that apple pie right now. And not that I can't have it. Like, you know, oh, I can't have that apple pie right now. I don't even want that. You see, because I'm a sprinter. And, and I'm getting ready when that gun sounds. I'm going to take off and I'm going to run down and I'm going to break through that tape. And I'm going to set a record. I'm going to go to the Olympics. I'm going to be one of the greatest runners that's ever been. If you want to get to know me after the race, we'll see about that. All right. But right now, I got something to do. And so you get her out of the way. The gun sounds. You do exactly that. That's who you are. And you figured out who you are. That's what I'm talking about as we become that new creation. See, God made us into the second highest creation. Well, the first highest creation that's ever been because he wasn't created. But right under God, we used to be lower than the angels. But those of us who stepped into this relationship with him, he says, now you're light. Now you're a whole different being. Now you're going to rule and reign with me, he says in Revelation, throughout eternity. That's what I created you for. And we're still kind of like going around like, man, life is such a struggle. It's so difficult. And what's interesting, it's not positive thinking, but we have to get ready for this. Write this down. You have to become aware of the thought that is a lie. You have to become aware of the thought that is a lie. You have to become aware of the pattern because if you're going to make a change, we call it second nature. Why? Because you don't notice it. It's your nature. So do some checking. Are my muscles tight? Is my mind worrying? Is my heart beat up? You know, check your relationship. Is there conflict there? Check your relationship with God. Am I really trusting God, believing him? Why? Write this down because behind every self-defeating behavior in my life is a lie I'm believing. The biggest liar in your life is you. Behind every self-defeating behavior, there's a lie I'm believing. You're the biggest liar in your life. Every time you have a problem, it's because you've believed a lie. Like, I have to have this in order to get ahead. I really need this house. I've got to have this house. I know it's too big of a house. I know I'm going to be, you know, house poor. But I, and, oh, I can't give to God's kingdom. I can't do anything. I, I can't even, you know, this is, so then you get deep in debt. All this stuff, all these things are, who says you need that house? Have, is it proven fact that you need that house? You see those kind of things like that. We do this all the time. I remember talking to a guy one time and, and, and he said, Man, I'm about to lose my marriage. And his wife was there. And she just started bawling as soon as he said it. And she, he said, I, I, I'm just an angry, I was born angry. I mean, I'm an angry person. I'm half Irish, you know? And, and, and I, I'm just angry. And, and he had actually had been yelling at the wife and kids, screaming at them, coming home when the house is not clean and stuff like that. And he actually kicked the dog the day before and actually hurt the dog. And he said, That's just, it's just who I am. And I looked at him for a second. This was like a 10-second counseling session out in the lobby, you know. And I looked at him and I said, man, how many jobs have you had? And he goes, what? I said, your boss must hate it when you scream at him like that. 
And he goes, well, I would never scream at my boss like that. And it like, boom. Oh, I don't have to do that if I don't want to. I found someone safe I could scream at and yell at. You see, it was a habit. It wasn't who he was. He didn't do that at work. He never did that at work. He'd had this job for a long time. His boss loved him. That guy changed in that moment because he, re he realized it. Here's mine, you know, and I've told you this before. I have this tendency. I love to work out. And I try to get big and all this stuff. But I have this tendency to also be a little fluffy. Y'all, anybody else have that? I get a little fluffy. I like to call it fluffy. But, I, you know, because I inherited fluffiness. I think. I think I did. And uh, because I'm pretty sure, you know, I got a cheese ball the other day, one of those good ones with all the nuts and stuff on it. And I think just like y'all, I sat down, got my wheat thins out, watching TV, ate the cheese ball. But it's a one serving, isn't it? it isn't that how you eat a cheese ball? I mean, come on. Right? No, you eat a cheese ball like that and you're fluffy, right? And I have to tell myself the truth. I might have learned something growing up. I might have learned how to overeat, but I overeat all the time. And I can't figure out why I'm fluffy. You see the lie? I mean, we've got to work on those kind of things. So we recognize the lie, then we replace it with the thought that is God's truth. Replace it with the thought that is God's truth. If you don't get anything else I say this morning, I want you to get this. The secret to personal change. It's not a pill, and I believe in medicine. You know, there's some organic reasons for even depression, and it's good to take some of those SSRIs sometimes. If you're a diabetic, you would take insulin, and we've got these other things now that can help regulate that, but that's not gonna be your answer. It's gonna maybe take the trough out of the bottom, but you're gonna have to do more than that. It's not a program, it's not a process, it's not even therapy, and I, you know how much I believe in counseling. Personal change is found in the truth. And you've got to know the truth about yourself and face it. You've got to know the truth about your situation and face it. You've got to know the truth about your relationships, the truth about God, the truth about life. You've got to know it and face it. Listen to what Paul says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these Things. Direct your attention and energy and activity toward these things. Give these values weight in your decision making. Raise your kids based on these things. How you spend your money based on these things. What you watch on TV based on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. But you see, I find that most people today, they're not asking, is it true? Is it right? Is it honorable? Is it just? The, the verb there, dwell on these things, is a really strong verb. It means to really ponder, really work at it, really think through it. A lot of times people will say, when you worry, well, you just think too much. No, the truth is you don't think enough in the right direction. And, and, and so people aren't asking, is it true? Is it right? They're saying, does it work in America, right? Pragmatism. Does it work? How will it make me feel? Will it make me feel good? Okay, then let's do it. But that's not the questions that we're to ask, right? In fact, I want you to start talking back to television and to movies. In the theater, you might do it real quietly because other people really aren't there to hear you. But 
You're going like, Ben Affleck, what are you trying to get me to believe right now? Right? Come on, Thor. Really? You know? And, and, and so you begin to ask questions like that, okay? And, and when you listen to newscasters say, is that really the whole story? Is there another side to this? Is, begin to, to look at some of that. Rick Warren, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life and sold 25 million copies. Depression runs in his life. He's, he's got a huge church out in California, about 27, 28,000 people, I think, come on the weekend. But he started that Saddleback Church in 1980. In 1981, he had some physical stuff going on and he, and he went into clinical depression. And he almost dropped the church a year after it started. But he said what he began to do, he had been preaching some of this and to himself he started thinking, I, I, I'm just done, I'm cooked, I'm, I'm over, I, I can't do this. I, all the thoughts that he was having was it's finished, it's over. And he began to write on these little three by five cards God's promises. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And on the backside he would say, Jesus loves me today even if I'm in my depression. Depression is not my fault, but it is my issue to deal with. And, and, and so Jesus loves me as much today as he does on the day that I'm preaching my best sermon. And, and I can do all things through Christ. I can actually get out of bed right now because God's going to enable me to do, do it and take one step and put one foot. He began to, he said he put about 50 of those cards and he would just, he said he'd have to go through like 20 of them before he could even get out of bed. Another 20 before he could even take a shower. He would go over them again and be able to get in the car and drive to work. And he said after about six weeks, what was crazy was his depression as he just kept focusing on those words, those truths, the promises of God, his depression lifted. He said, I can't explain it and I can't tell you that yours will lift in six weeks, but mine did it. Now, he's gone through a lot of other stuff because since depression kind of runs through that family, it's still, it's still choices that you make. It's tendencies that you have. His son, a couple of years ago, killed himself in depression. You might have heard of that. And he had to deal with a whole bunch of stuff all over again. But God is working in the midst of 7,000 promises in the Bible. My daughter Sarah actually writes them down. When she was at home, before she went to school, because she suffered from anxiety, which is again, that's kind of a shook trait, all right? She would write these verses on her mirror and she would wake up, she would write them in the marker that you could erase. I don't even know how she put her makeup on because her verse is all over her mirror. And she'd be saying those as she's getting ready for school and going off to school. You see, here's the thing about God's word. You're like the cup of hot water and God's word is like the little bag of tea that like today we're kind of dipping it in just a little bit and you see a little bit of a tent and a little bit of a change because you're hearing it. But as you begin to live in it and meditate on it and think about it and you begin to do all of that, it changes everything. You become steeped in it, all right? And let me just give you another quick example. How many of you are still worrying even after all this mood swingers? You're still, go ahead, raise your hand, you can do it. How many of you are still lying? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I get it. I, I do that too. But so you say, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry. What are you doing? You're worrying about not worrying, right? Here's what you do. Again, we've read this before, but let's practice it today. Philippians 4, 5 through 7. Keep your gentle nature so that all people will know what it looks like to walk in his footsteps. That sounds good, doesn't it? The Lord is ever present with us. Listen, he's ever present. Don't be anxious about things. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. He longs to hear your requests. So talk to God about your needs. Be thankful for what has come and know that the peace of God, a peace that is beyond any and all of our human understanding will stand watch over your hearts and minds 
in Jesus, the anointed one. The lie, where's the lie? I'm God, I can control this. If I just worry enough, well, no one else is gonna worry about it. He's sure not gonna worry about it, I'm gonna worry about it, right? Truth, God cares, he says he's longing to hear this from you. He's present, he's here. He will answer for my good. You're worried. You think too much. No, you don't think enough. You're not thinking enough about God and his truth and his word. You're not thinking. Chuck Swindoll said that he uh, had a lady in his church, an elderly lady came up to him. He goes, I want to tell you my story because he was talking about worry. She said, when I was in my late 20s, I was so worried about finding a man. And I just thought, I'm never going to find a man. And and, and I'm going to be an old maid. And it really just consumed me. And she said, you know, I'm... 80 years old now, I have had 12 kids. I didn't get married till I was 30. From 30 on, ladies, imagine 12 kids after 30, all right? And she said, here he is, he's still, this guy. She said, what I did, I quit worrying and, and I, I started taking God's promise. I actually went and bought a pair of Levi's and hung them on my, my, the footboard of my bed. And then she said, Chuck Swindoll said, she handed him this prayer that she prayed. Father in heaven, hear my prayer. Grant it if you can. I'm hanging here a pair of trousers. Please fill them with a mat. And here's what was so interesting. Um, he, he said he told that story at, at church and, and three weeks later he got a letter from a really concerned parent that didn't go to his church and she said, my son, a teenage boy, goes to your church and I don't know what's wrong. He said it was something you said but every night he hangs a string bikini at the bottom of his <laughs> bed and it's better than worrying, right? Friday, I accidentally with one click deleted all of my hours of studying for this sermon. Oh, you know, when you hit don't save. And I thought I'd been saving all along because I usually do, but I hadn't. I'd just been leaving it up and then I would come back to it, leaving it up on the screen, coming back to it. And, and, and man, it just, it was gone. And you know how you get that back? You don't. I tried, I Googled it, I did everything, you know. And, and my first thoughts are, God, what? This is, this is horrible, this is terrible. We're doomed, you know. And, and, and God, don't you even care that I've been working on it? You know, all of these kind of things. And then I realized the truth. God's got this. In fact, I preached so long last week that some of you were praying that half my sermon would be deleted and you answered your prayer. All right? And I'm almost done. All right? But it's just like God's got so I got this. I got this. It's kind of like you have this scale in your brain in a sense and you got these little marbles. And you've got all these falsehoods in there. You know, you just keep telling yourself lies. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not sexy enough. I, or, or maybe you're telling yourself things are so good right now. I don't deserve this. It's the, wait for the other shoe to drop, you know. Or God is not good. Or God, and, and when you get it tilted way down like that, that's depression. And so you have to start putting those little marbles on the other side. God's promises. There's 7,000 little marbles you can put in there. And you can put them in over and over. And when you get it even, you know what you feel when you get it even? Nothing. You feel blah, because it's just even. That's a really technical therapy term, blah, okay? But as you continue, look what happens. Blessed. And that's what you want to be, blessed. Happy is the man. Blessed is the man. That Blessed is the woman that does this, all right? And I'll just close with this. You can rewire your brain. You can if you're a believer, God 
has made you a new creation. Now all we have to do is line you up with who you already are. But I want to read this last verse to you. Moses had gone up to see God. His face was shiny. And he came down the mountain and everyone was freaked out by that. And they said, you truly are our leader, Moses. And, and, and I, please cover your face with something. And so he used a veil thing, like, kind of like a woman, like a bride. But it was a deep cover over his face. But later on, that glow that he had because he had been face to face with God began to fade. He didn't want anyone to know. So he kept the veil there. It's like a mask. It's like a covering. It's like your church face, I call it, okay? It says this, though, in 2 Corinthians 3.18 as it talks about Moses. And it says, but we all with unveiled face. Maybe you want to circle unveiled face. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from the glory to glory. Just as from the Lord. What's it trying to say? It's trying to say, you got to let the mask down if you're going to change. That's what I tell you all the time. You know what? It's okay. I already know your character disorder. I already know you're neurotic. We already accept that here. No one here is normal. We've had a, quite a life to get here. But it's not serving you now. Those habits and those things. We say, well, that's just who I am. No, that's a lie. It's something that you've learned. You might have learned it when you were two, but it's not who you are. All of those self-defeating things, God wants to do something with that. We're going to have some people up here at the end to pray with you. That'll be a first step. We've got an amazing counseling team to counsel you. Call, sign up, get involved in that. Come week after week. You're putting little marbles in the right side, you know, getting that, getting that there. Some of you have already begun to feel that. You've begun to know that. You've got to replace the lies with God's truth. Jesus said it himself. Only the truth will set you free. And if the Son of God sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Would you close your eyes with me? God, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you for the truths of this morning. And God, I ask that you would enable us to find those 7,000 promises. Maybe we need to do like Rick Warren and write them on a little card or put them in our phone or do whatever we need to do, God, to, to get back to them, to get back to them over and over and over as we begin to see life change happen. You have made us the most amazing creation on the planet as we've stepped into this relationship with you. But God, we're not living that kind of life. We're not living that abundant life you talked about that you want for us, that overcoming life. We see it in our relationships, in our everyday. So come kingdom of God upon us. Be done, will of God in us. Do all that you have for us right now. Not, don't let even one of us within the sound of my voice, those at home, listening online, those here, and those that will listen later on, God, you do what you want to do, and I know it's good and pleasing to you, and it's good for us. Do it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.